I don't know who that guy is. He keeps showing up. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. As you do that, how many brought your Bible? Hold it up and let the old pastor see you. Very good. Very good. Lord, open the scriptures to us and change us forever in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. We're talking about heaven wept. Say that, please. Heaven wept as the Messiah died. Got a question. Do you like mysteries? Okay. I do, too. You're 1622. Spanish ship was leaving the Caribbean, headed back to Spain, and it hit a hurricane. And the Atocha, everyone say Atocha, it went down quickly after it hit rocks. Uh, it got bashed by another hurricane, but in the first hurricane, the storm was so bad that the eight ships accompanying the Atocha, all of them went down. Nine ships went down down. And uh, loss of life was horrible. 260 sailors from the Atocha drowned in that shipwreck and only five survived and they survived by clinging to the very top part of the mast. That's the only way they lived until they could be picked up. Now there's something special about the Atocha. When the Atocha went down, it was loaded with 40 tons of gold and silver. How many want to take up scuba diving? Yeah. And 70 pounds, 70 pounds of Colombian emeralds, the most expensive and rarest emeralds in the entire world. The ship had been lost for 347 years. Nobody knew where it was. And a chicken farmer, say chicken farmer, chicken farmer by the name of Mel Fisher decided he was going to spend his life and find the Atochin. That's a picture of him when he started. And so Mel Fisher studied every chart, every captain's log, Every chart of storm path during that time, he looked in every kind of history book written about the Atocha because he was looking for clues on where to find it. And he spent a fortune, an absolute fortune. People said he was crazy. But he found the Atocha, 200 miles off the coast of the Florida Keys, it took 16 years to find the wreck of the Atocha. And there it is, right there. His team, over the coming months and years, brought up 24 tons, not 24 pounds, 24 tons of silver bullion coins and these these bars here it was an amazing find plus 
125 gold bars. Do you know what gold is an ounce today? It's a pretty good little chunk of change. 1,200 pounds of silverware they recovered from the bottom of the ocean. And historians, 20 priceless bronze cannons. Those things weigh about 1,000 pounds each. Could you imagine trying to hoist them and get them up? It's a very dangerous occupation. What was the total fund? $450 million from the wreck of the Atocha. It is the greatest, most valuable shipwreck ever discovered. Um, he became fabulously wealthy. The chain that you see in his right hand was sold at auction for $120,000 just for that one chain. Dangerous work. And he paid a steep price for the 16 years he invested in finding the wreck of the Atocha. One of his best friends, another diver, drowned. As well as, that's the the initial crew in 1969, as well as one of his sons drowned and his wife died in an accident at sea while they were salvaging this material. Would you say he paid a price? I don't know if Mel Fisher understands it or not, but when everybody dies, they leave everything here. Okay, now, I want to talk about a different kind of treasure. Today, we want to look at the greatest treasure of all, and it's not found at the shipwreck of the Atocha. Can I tell you where it is? It's a treasure map. You ready for the treasure map? That's the treasure map. The treasure map is Isaiah 53, where you are looking at the book or the electronic device in your lap, and I want you to watch for clues. I've never taught on this before. It's amazing. After all these years, I've never just gone line by line through Isaiah 53. Now, at the top of your page, there's a question. This Easter, you may want to think about asking this question to some of your friends, some of your family members, and here's the greatest question of all time. How will your sins be atoned for? When you die, how will your sins be accounted for? Now, to show you how important Isaiah 53 is, it is the most quoted chapter in the entire New Testament. Heaven must absolutely adore Isaiah 53. It is quoted 43 times. If somebody gives you a message 43 times, that message is very, very important. And to show you also the length and breadth of the message, Isaiah the prophet was told to write Isaiah 53 down 600 years before the subject person of the passage was even born. So we're talking about a treasure map that answers the question that I ask you. 
How will a person's sins be atoned? The answer was given 26 centuries ago. That's a big treasure map. Now, let's read the passage. And I'm reading out of New American Standard today. Verse number one says this. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Verse 3, he was despised, forsaken of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs, now if your Bible is like my Bible, there's a footnote that goes beside the word grief. Does your Bible have that? Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed. Everyone say the word crushed for our iniquities and the chastening for our well-being. Whose well-being? For our well-being fell upon him and by his stripes, by his beating, by his scourging, we are healed. Verse number six. Make sure you mark verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, which is sin, the iniquity of us all, to do what? What happens to it? I'm sorry, what does your Bible say? To fall or lay upon him. Now, the chapter starts out in a puzzling way. I read this and never got it for a long time. The question is asked, who actually has believed this? And as I think, wouldn't you think a terminally ill world that had the solution for their terminal illness, wouldn't you think they would be interested Uh, in most cases, the answer is no, they are not interested. What do you base that on, Steve? A lot of people are. By the way, today, I don't know, 30, maybe 40,000 people will receive Christ all over the world. So a lot of people are, a lot of people are not. Can you read the yellow with me, please? This is Jesus' words. I'll never forget being in a large jail cell I came to witness to one guy and ended up sharing the gospel with all 35 guys in the jail cell and uh, I just asked them do you think more people will go to heaven or more people will go to hell and they said oh more people will go to heaven and I just said if you think you're going to heaven for sure hold your hand up all 35 raise your hands and I thought to myself well why are you in here you rascals Read what the sign says. Jesus said, enter through the 
narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to eternal life, and relatively few people find it. Life is like Highway I-85 going through the heart of Atlanta, 12 lanes. People are whizzing through it at 75, 80 miles an hour. They get, they're born, they grow up, they finish school, they get married, they go to more school, they get a career, they retire, they die, and life goes by just like that. And most people never consider eternity. They're just zipping through life. Now, Isaiah 53, traditionally, for centuries, the Jewish community, when asked about Isaiah 53, who is this talking about? And traditionally, they said, oh, that's the Messiah that's coming. They don't say that anymore. But traditionally, they did. Now, in the first century, the church, the Christian church, which was all Jewish practically, they believed that Jesus, the Messiah, was the subject of Isaiah 53. They believed the same thing. We see the story in the book of Acts of this evangelist, Philip, leaving this great revival in Samaria. He's just told to go south, go to the desert. When you get there, I'll tell you what to do. And there's this large caravan, and the Spirit of God says, that man right there, that court official, you run up to the chariot. What do I do? I'll tell you when you get there. And so he runs on a diagonal. He meets a chariot. And this powerful, rich man He's reading a scroll apparently he had purchased for a lot of money in Jerusalem. And he's going back to Ethiopia. And what Philip is told to ask is this. Do you understand what you're reading? That's a good question. By the way, the Holy Spirit will tell you what you should ask people. The question is, will you have courage enough to ask the question? And so he turned to him and said, how could I understand it? I don't even, I don't have any background in this. And he says, what are you reading? And guess what he's reading? Isaiah 53. And this is the text. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before the shear is silent. He does not even open his mouth. And so the Ethiopian court official says, who's he talking about, himself or some other one? And then the next verse says, Philip, taking the scriptures, what? Isaiah 53. Explain the gospel to this man. And by the time the chariot stopped, he said, man, I want to get baptized. I am all in on this thing. Now, starting in the 12th century, the Jewish community, the rabbis switched gears because they realized if they taught Isaiah 53, that would probably put them in a bad place. And so they switched gears. They ignored the text and they said, oh, it's talking about the nation of Israel. And I, my point is, if you go through the text, you have two groups. You have the suffering servant. Then you have the people. You can't confuse those two. Here's something fascinating in the treasure hunt. 
If you still have your Bible, go back to chapter 52, one page. Look at verse number 13. It says, my servant will be high and lifted up the very same language of chapter 6, where Isaiah sees in the year of King Uzziah's death, the Lord and his train, glory filled the temple, and he was, this is a language of deity. He is high and lifted up. And then look at the very next verse. There's a puzzling verse. I hate, I hesitate to even share it, but it's there, so we should talk about it. It says the appearance of the servant is so marred. You know what marred means? Beaten up, abused. Have you ever been, some of you that work in the, with the fire, rescue, operating rooms, some of you that work in places where people go through horrible things, the damage to the human body is almost unbelievable. And this verse suggests that the man who suffers in Isaiah 53 will be so beat up, motivated by demon lords, these men will beat him to the point you almost cannot recognize he is a human. Chapter 53, verse 2. He grows up as a tender shoot before him like a root out of dry ground. What's that talking about? Watch for the clues. He was born and raised in obscurity. The very next phrase says, this servant has no stately, notice the word stately, form. What's that mean, Steve? It suggests the Messiah would be a commoner. He'd walk down the street, you would notice him. He doesn't have royal robes. He doesn't have a bodyguard. He's not on a white horse. He doesn't have a, a, a crown with emeralds in the crown. He is a regular, common man who works every day for a living. That's the plan. And he was despised. Do you know what the word despise means? It means hated. Now, there's one thing I hate. Well, several things, but one of them is lima beans. God did not create lima beans. I'm a southern boy, and my mama tried to make me eat lima beans, and I just went... They are demonic. They are evil. They taste nasty. There's not enough ketchup to put on lima beans, so they're tasty. Does anybody here like lima beans? Hold your hand up. Oh, my goodness. I've missed a blessing. Pray for them. Pray for them. But not only is he despised, he's hated. By the way, is he, he's adored by many, but is he hated in our culture? Oh, yes. He is rejected. Have you been rejected? He has been forsaken. Have you ever been forsaken? Somebody turned their back on you? Somebody forgot about you? Somebody walked away from you? And he's a man of sorrows. Say a man of sorrows, please. 
And he has lived with something that you've lived with too. Grief. What's that suggest, Steve? Sorrow means disappointment. Have you been disappointed? Have you suffered loss? Have you been heartbroken? Have you been under stress that doesn't seem to let go? Jesus understands. He was betrayed, abused. Maybe you've been abused. He's experienced sadness, rejection, and here's the punchline. He's experienced all that because of you. He didn't have to experience that, but he chose to experience that. And we can look at any person we will ever meet and listen to people's story and let them tell us of their hurt, their brokenness, their regret, and tell them after they're done, I'll do all I can to help you, but I want to say there's somebody who knows right where you've been. And not only, not only does he know right where you've been, he experienced it so you could be healed. Brokenness can be really, really good, but there comes a time you need to move forward and get healed and find wholeness and find redemption and let Jesus put new meaning and value on your loss, your betrayal, your brokenness. Because if you stay broken, if you stay devastated, if you stay hurt, and sometimes it takes a while to get through this, you'll never be much good to anybody else. And life will be about you and how unfair it has been for you. I'm glad, someone say amen, I'm glad we have a Savior who's a man of sorrows. And he's acquainted with grief because he still cares today. And he still hurts today. And we should care. And we should hurt, and we should be willing to mourn with those that are mourning and broken. And he hurts for those in pain. And by the way, this is a great prayer to pray if you've never prayed it. Lord, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. Then the next verse, and I just think it's pretty important that Isaiah outs himself in this. He says, we, everyone say we, we did not esteem him. What does it mean? We, our nation, our people, the people of the book, the people devoted to the one true God, we did not esteem him, which means we didn't value him. I mean, we were sitting on top of the Atocha treasure. We were right there. We were told where it was, and we never cared to go get it. We didn't value the treasure. It's amazing to have the treasure. It's amazing to be raised in church, 
It's amazing to be raised in a Christian home. It's be amazing to have a Christian spouse that loved Jesus and you miss everything. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you miss the treasure hunt? And then the next phrase. He is one of those that we hide our face from. You know, when people don't want to deal with God, you know what they do? They hide. They run. They put their fingers in their ear. They ignore the voice of the Spirit to their heart. Today, are you hiding? Are you hiding? Verse 4. It gets better and better. He, our griefs, himself, bore. Our sorrows, he carried. Now, if you look at the Hebrew in those two words, that's why I told you to look at the footnote if you have a little indicator there by those words. It's about physical healing. It's about physical illness. It's about affliction. Why do you say that, Steve? Well, give me just a few minutes. A lot of Christians don't believe it this way, and it's okay. You wrestle with it. But I want to show you four examples in Matthew chapter 8 where this cycles back to. Four examples. The first one, chapter 8, verse 2 There's a man whose face is eaten up and his fingers are gone from leprosy. They are the complete outsiders. They live outside the city. They beg. They live off scraps. If they see a whole person, they have to cover their face and yell unclean so they won't get around. And this leper approaches the suffering servant and comes right up to him. And everybody goes, ah! And he says this, I know who you are. And if you are willing, you could cleanse me of this disease. And do you know what Jesus said? I am willing. Say it with me, please. I am willing. That's what he says to you today. I am willing. And he's healed. The very next story, true account, happens in Capernaum. There's a map of Capernaum, and you see that round-like spaceship thing by the sea? This is where it happened. That's a little chapel built by Catholic folk to commemorate the home where this happened. This was Simon Peter's home. And when Jesus came there, his mother-in-law was sick with a fever she couldn't get over. Jesus came to her and touched her hand, and the fever left, and she was healed. That's account number two. Account number three. That evening, still in Capernaum, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. By the way, demons mess with all of us. And you have authority over them. 
And he healed all who were ill. That is account number what? Three. These are four in a row. The word bore, the word carried, means one thing. He picked it up. He took it off you. And he put it on himself. That's what that means. So, your pastor Steve looks at this and says salvation and healing is both found in the atoning work of Christ at Calvary. Where do you get this? I'm showing you this. Does everybody you pray for get well? They've not. Do some get well? I've seen some get well. So we're going to keep doing it. I'd rather be well than sick. The point is, neither of these are automatically given. But must be received by, one, what is it? By what? By faith. Now here's a guy that doesn't have Isaiah 53. He doesn't even have a, a scripture at all. He's a Gentile. He's a professional military guy stationed at Capernaum. And he approaches Jesus and says this, uh, my favorite guy on my team is paralyzed. And Jesus said, I'll come to your home and I'll heal him. And you know what he says? No, you don't have to do that. I'm a man under authority. I understand who you are. All you have to do is say the word and it's done. And Jesus stepped back and turned to his men and said, did you hear what he said? I haven't seen anybody with this much faith in the entire nation. You have the book. He doesn't have the book. You have the heritage. He doesn't have the heritage. You should know who I am. He knows who I am. Now, that's the fourth example. Then it leads us to this statement that Jesus made. I didn't make this statement. I didn't say this. Some pastor didn't say it. Some seminary professor didn't say it. Can I tell you what Jesus said? Can we just look at it? Maybe if I figure out my clicker here. Did I do something, Mark, guys? I'm not giving you guys an early out. No way. No, I didn't. Okay. You guys may have to do it for me. Okay. So, click. How'd that work? So, what does it start out saying what? In order. Keep going. So, everything that happened is now going to be illustrated. This happened for this reason. In order. Next. Was spoken by Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled saying... He himself took our what? Infirmities and carried away our what? I think we can live a lot higher by hanging all these scriptures. Next. So, and this is the basis of the church's commands. To heal the sick. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Do what you're supposed to do because I go to the Father so you can have this. Next, please. Next. 
He gave them authority, and they used the authority. And it's not just for the 12, it's for the 70, it's for us today, it's for all of us. We're not using the treasure like we should. Next. He was stricken. Brother Rick, would you take this back there? Maybe they could fix it. Can you catch? There you go. Next. Matter of fact, you guys don't even need me. They could just play this. Or I mean, I've even been here. He was stricken. Next, he was smitten. He was. Can you, can you catch those words? How powerful those words are? And was it God's hand that did it? No, but it was God's plan that allowed it. By God. Next. And here's what's amazing. The wrath of God, which you have never experienced, that we rightly deserve. Next. Was placed upon the Son. We deserved it. He never did anything wrong. We deserve our punishment. We deserve, people say, did you get what you deserve? I go, I deserve to be in hell forever. That's what I deserve. And next, please. So, if you had two options, option A or option B, first one is, do you want God's wrath? Is that a yes or no? Yes or no? Okay, next, please. Or do you prefer that the Son take your wrath? Next, please. He was pierced. Say the word pierced. For our transgression, that is a picture of something called the crucifixion. 200 years before the Persians brought it to the eastern part of the Mediterranean, actually 300 years before the Romans ever did it, it is part of the treasure map to make sure you didn't miss the treasure. Next. He was crushed for our iniquities. Everyone say crushed. Next, please. What's crushed look like a 300 pound man with a size 13 boot stepping on an empty coke can and flattening it in one move that's what crushed means next please and the scripture answers why he was crushed why for our well-being Next, please. Are you my Vanna White? Thank you, sir. I probably did something goofy to it. And the scripture says this. It reaffirms what we just read. By his beating. By his stripes. We find redemption, healing, restoration, wholeness because of the abuse that he took. Verse number six. If you don't have it marked in your Bible, please mark it because you need to understand verse six. All of us. How many of us? All of us have gone astray. Have you gone astray? Each has gone his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity or sin of us all. Where does it land? 
on him on the cross. Verse 7, this is beautiful. He was afflicted, yet he never, 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 never opened his mouth to defend himself, which meant he accepted the mission totally. What do you mean? What mission? The mission to come save you. That mission. The mission nobody else could do. The mission nobody else wanted. The mission that he was the only one that could pull it off. He never opened his mouth. That means no protests from him. That meant no excuses, no alternative plans, and no self-pity. Have you ever struggled with self-pity? Turn your self-pity into gratitude and you will get whole fast. Like a lamb. That's led to the slaughter. And here you see this double picture in Isaiah 53. What double picture? One, you see the good shepherd that's laying his life down for the sheep. That's the good shepherd. So you see that. But at the same time, you see he's the only lamb that is qualified as a holy, perfect, sinless sacrifice. Every other lamb, every other preacher, every other teacher, every other missionary, every other president, every other governor, every other person in your family is flawed, blemished, spotted, and imperfect. And then to make sure people over the centuries wouldn't miss it, his grave it's among wicked men. What do you mean wicked men? A murderer on his right and a career thief on his left. And then it switches. The mystery, the beauty, the treasure, yet with a rich man, everyone say rich man, in his death. My favorite place of all favorite places is the garden tomb in Jerusalem where I believe Joseph spent a long time with hired people carving out thick limestone to make a tomb for he and his family that he gave it up for the suffering servant. Verse 10. This is the most mystifying part to me. But the Lord was pleased. What do you mean pleased? Pleased to crush him. It sounds cruel. Isn't God a good father? Isn't God all love? Doesn't he love his son? Oh, yes, he does. When I say pleased, it doesn't mean pleasurable. It means I'm pleased with the plan to redeem the world. We're giving the best of heaven to pick up the very worst of earth. 
which is you and me. And then to render him as a guilt or sin offering. What's that about, Steve? Remember the question I asked you? The greatest question? How are you going to atone for your filth? Your regret? The times you've wounded and hurt people. The times you've been two-faced. The times you have been idolatrous. The times you have lied. The times you have stolen. The times you have taken the lust train down the wrong path. How are you going to atone for that? Well, that is the answer of the universe. Now, some people, some Christians don't like the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament as much as the New. And this book, Leviticus, is a hard book. I remember before I was a Christian, I started reading Leviticus and I died. I mean, I just, uh, I don't know this. Today, it's one of my favorite books because the book of Leviticus is about God's holiness. I've got to teach my holiness to my people. And this guilt offering that we see in Isaiah 53 was actually initiated in Leviticus 5. There are five different offerings for sin, and one of them is a guilt offering. Because God, a holy God, has got to deal with the shame of his people, the guilt of his people, the sin of his people. How is he going to do that? And so it's exorbitant. It's costly. It's finely detailed. It is painful. It is ugly. It is just crazy. And yet God is laying out the treasure map to get you to Isaiah 53 so you can understand where the treasure is. The treasure is right there. That there is a permanent answer to our sin, shame, and guilt. And it's found right there. And what we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 is that all sin... We don't have to keep repeating these offerings. It's been offered once and for all. All sin has been dealt with at the cross forever. Someone say, praise God. And then he says he will see his offspring. What do you mean he will see his offspring? He did this for you. He saw you in advance. And he was willing to go through this for you. By the way, don't ever say, God doesn't love me. And you've read this one time. You ought to go out of here taller and stronger with more joy than ever before. And then see, he's going to prolong his days. That's an obvious reference to one thing. How does someone prolong his days? The resurrection. They thought he was dead. And my servant will justify the many. Do you know what the word justify means? It means made right. Because of our iniquities, we are wrong. So the righteous one died in our place. So we could have righteous standing. Some of you may want to write this next phrase down. When Jesus looked at the cross, he looked at you. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. So what do you do? 
You accept the transaction. You accept the gift. Worship team, would you guys come on up? I want to show you something from Isaiah 53. Remember verse number six? Do you remember verse number six? Can I show you how to lead people to Christ with just verse number six? Can I show you how to do it? Maybe you've never led anybody to Christ before. Let me help you with this. We do evangelism training on Thursday nights. We'll probably start either this summer or this fall. I would suggest you take that training so you become a confident soul winner. So here's how you would do this. A friend that you've been having lunch with, somebody at work, somebody at school, and you ask them the question, did you know God has a plan to deal with your guilt and shame? And if they're your friend, they probably already shared their guilt and shame and their stuff with you. Do you know God has a plan for that? No. Where is it found? It's found in Isaiah 53. But first, you need, I need to tell you something. When a person dies, the scripture says in Revelation chapter 20, books are opened. And a person's book is opened. And people are judged from the things written in the book. So every person in this room on the face of the planet has their own book in heaven. Okay? Well, what's in the book, Steve? I go, it's everything you've ever said. Things you've said behind people's backs. Things where you've blasphemed. Horrible things you've thought. Because God knows you are what you think, not just what you do. Things that you have done that you regret. And here's the one that gets me most of all. Good things I should have done because God wanted me to do them, but I never got around to obeying him. All those are written in our books. And I said, if I could just use my hands to illustrate it, this left hand would be you. This is your life, my left hand. And this record book of your life found in Revelation chapter 20, when you die, you will stand before the great white throne and your book will be opened. And would you allow me, let me, if I got a New Testament with me, I'll say, let's say this little New Testament is your record book of your sins, your words, your thoughts. Some of you might need a bigger one. Would that be true? And ask them, are there things you wished you'd never said? Actions you regret? Failures, choices you've made that you still feel bad about? Are there? I go where they're written in your book. So this is you, and this is your book. It is on you. So I go, where is your record book of sins? Well, it's on me. I said, when you die, it is on you. Is that good or bad? And I've never had a person say it's good. They always say, that's pretty bad. And I said, it's the ultimate bad. If you die unforgiven, all your sin is on you. I said, can I give you good news? And people are always willing to hear good news. Can I give you some good news? Yeah, what's your good news? Well, Isaiah 53 says this. All of us, like sheep, all of us. I've gone astray, you've gone astray. 
All of us have gone our own way. But the key is, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And I go, if my friend's name is Jim, I go, Jim, okay, so left hand is you. Your record book is on you, your record of sin. I go, but my right hand, I'm going to say that is the Lord Jesus. That is Christ that's come. He is the very one the whole Bible is about. And the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. And I go, watch me. Are you ready, Jim? What are you going to do? I go, here's you. Here's your sin. Here's Christ that died for you. And so the iniquity of us all has what? Fallen on where? On him. No longer on you, but on him. And I go, this is what the whole Bible is about. The great transfer, the great story of substitution where you got heaven's best when you did not deserve it. You know, here's you, here's your record book of sin, here's Christ. All your iniquity was transferred and put upon him. But I go, Jim, it's not enough to know that. You have to accept his offer of salvation or it doesn't count. So here's how I wrap it up. So Jim, when you die, do you want your sin to be on you? Or do you want your sin to be on Christ? Which one? Your choice today. And you'd be surprised how many people on the spot would say, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I go, would you like to receive Christ today? And a lot of them say, I do. And I lead them in a prayer commitment. Now these next four, five, six minutes are very important. You need to respond to whatever God's spirit says. If you're ill in your body, I want you to come forward. Let some of these prayer warriors pray for you. And we're going to ask God to grant you a healing today. If you are away from God, come back. If you're not sure if your sins are on you or on Christ, why don't you pray with me right now, right where you sit, every head bowed, every eye closed. And you people watching online, you have the same invitation. God's Spirit can touch you. If you'd like to be forgiven of every sin, if you'd like to be adopted as a child of the living God and let Jesus be your Savior and Lord, right where you are, pray with me now and say, Lord Jesus, that's right. Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Be my Savior and Lord. I offer you my life forever. Make me your child and give me a home in heaven. And thank you for taking my sin today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to come down and see one of the pastors. But I want to say, respond to the altar call. Respond to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. You need healing. You need forgiveness. You want to be alone. You want somebody to pray. 
respond during this last song. And I 
Do whatever you want. 
I just believe after us putting our hearts into Isaiah 53, none of us will ever be the same. We'll stand taller, firmer, we'll love more, we'll know who we are in Christ. We know that the Father loves us because he allowed his son to go through so much. Don't ever doubt the Father's love for you. I release the Father's love and healing from wounds, rejection and disappointment in this room. Be healed, be healed, be healed in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, wash over these people and wash away disappointments. Give new perspective. Show your people how treasured, how beautiful, how superb they are. In Jesus' name. Now, if you need ministry before you leave, you may have heard a whisper in your heart. A whisper is a thought, a nudge, a prompt. That wasn't from you. That was from the Holy Spirit. So before you leave, come receive what you need. to do